So as we are continuing our study of what's commonly called the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, we come today to the phrase, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Let me just briefly review last week, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Immediately Jesus tells us, start with God and start him as Father. We often start our prayers with our needs. Jesus says, no, this is the pattern of your praying. Start with God and start with him as Father. And if you have not yet listened to January the 28th, 2024's sermon, this would be a good time to pull that up because we focus in on what it means that God is our Father. There'll be a link in the comment description point where you can find that sermon because it's an incredible truth that God is our Father, that we are not abandoned, we are not rejected, we are not alone. God is our Father. And when we come to him in prayer, <clears throat> we don't have to beg and plead and harass and hassle. He is our loving Heavenly Father, and he wants to meet our needs. And again, I encourage you, pick up last Sunday's sermon and at least listen to the section on God as Father. Uh, it, it'll change the way you pray. I believe it'll change your relationship with God if you really understand him as Father. He is Father in the heavens. We said last week that reminds us that there is a spiritual world and God rules it. That when we pray, we are tapping into that spiritual world. We're tapping in to the supernatural world. That when we pray, our Father who art in heaven, we're reminding ourselves that there are things going on that we can't see. And even though it may seem that God is not answering our prayer, in the spiritual world, things are happening. And we are tapping into that. And, and again, it takes prayer for more than just the best we can do as humans. It takes prayer more than just saying words. And it helps us realize we are tapping in to the supernatural, spiritual world of our Father in the heavens. Our Father takes it away from selfishness and reminds us to pray for one another and that we're in this together. And then he says, hallowed be thy name. That is, your name is to be honored. Your name is to be exalted because his name represents who he is. But when you pray, hallowed be thy name, we're also praying, Lord, may my life bring honor to your name. May I live in such a way to bring honor to you, to bring glory to you, to live a life of obedience to you. And then we briefly looked at the eight times in the Old Testament where the personal name for God, Jehovah, is combined with another descriptor of God. And I suggested to you that this would be a good way for you to pray, hallowed be thy name, um, that he is our righteousness. And we thank him for salvation. And we should always thank God for our salvation, that he has forgiven us of our sins. Don't ever lose the wonder of your salvation. He is the Lord who sanctifies us. And remember, sanctification means two things. It means to cleanse us from sin, but it also means to set us apart for his use. And that's an incredible truth, 
we have a purpose. God created us for his use. He put his name on us and uniquely wired us up to do what he's put us on this earth to do. You have a purpose. He is the Lord who sanctifies you, who sets you apart to do his work. He is Jehovah our peace and how desperately we need peace in our hearts and lives in these days. There's not a whole lot of stuff going on in the world that engenders peace. <laughs> we have to focus on him. And the prophet Isaiah 26.3, Thou will keep in perfect peace those whose mind is fixed on you. Keep your mind fixed on him. He is Jehovah who is here, who is present with me. And that is the Jehovah Shammah name. And it also has with it the idea of God overflowing us. That as we go through our lives, we are living in such a way that God spills out of us. And, and he is present with us and he touches the lives of those around us. Donna was mentioning there's a verse in Proverbs about the person who refreshes others will be refreshed. That's a great verse. Because you think about the people you come in contact with on a daily basis. There are a lot of dry, parched, burnout, burn up people who are dry and just starving for any kind of refreshment emotionally, psychologically, mentally. And we can be the channel of the Lord is here and touch their lives with the grace and refreshing of God. He is our healer, that no matter what avenue he uses, the ultimate healing comes from him. And the ultimate, ultimate healing is heaven. He is our provider. And he sees, and that word means he sees ahead of time and provides. That's such an a, um, encouraging word. That when you get in trouble and all of a sudden you need something, God knew you were going to need it. And he knew before the beginning of time <laughs> that you were going to be in that need. And he's seen ahead of time and he's already provided it. He meets all of our needs. He is our shepherd. And you know Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. He is my banner. That is, he leads me. He's the flag that leads me into battle. And I mentioned to you last week, when I think of the Lord, my banner, I think of him being the logo. You know, he's, he's the, the team that I wear. He's the logo that I wear. I do everything I do in my life for him. He is my banner. So as you pray, start with God. Start with him as father. Honor his name. Meditate on his name. I mentioned to you last week the verse from Malachi that said there'll be a book of remembrance written for those who meditate on his name. And as you pray, and I know this is hard because humanly, we want to get to what I, we need, you know? Well, wait a minute, I'm praying and I, that means I need to tell God what I need. Well, you'll do a whole lot better in your praying if you focus on God first. And hallow his name, meditate on his name, reflect on his name. God, I remember the day I got saved. I remember 
that time you, you healed me. I remember your provision that time and that time and that time. And I remember when you gave me strength for this. And, I, you, know, and, and you just weave that tapestry together of meditating on his name and hallowing his name. That's part of prayer. It'll change the way you pray if you start with God and start him as father. So this morning now we're going to zoom in on thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And in a sentence, it would be this, surrender to God's priorities. This is harder than starting with God. <laughs> because again, we tend to come to God in prayer with our priorities. But we need to surrender to his priorities. Your will before mine, your agenda over mine, your plan over mine, your kingdom over mine, your will over mine. And I think one of the reasons that prayer for us is so hard is that we have for too long approached it as a means by which we can somehow twist God's arm into seeing things our way and giving us what we need or what we think we need. And that's hard. You know, if that's the way you approach prayer, it's going to be hard because you're going to learn pretty quickly that God doesn't always see things your way. <laughs> and it doesn't matter how much you argue with him, he doesn't see things your way. Jesus says that's not what prayer is. Prayer is not trying to manipulate or force God to see things your way. Prayer is getting you to the place where you see things his way and you surrender to his will and you surrender to his plan and here's the kicker you surrender to his will and his plan before you know what it is we used to sing a little chorus it was very simple but it was very powerful yes lord yes to your will and to your way. Yes, Lord, yes, I will trust you and obey. When your spirit speaks to me with my whole heart, I'll agree. And my answer will be yes, Lord, yes. <laughs> and praying thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We are saying to God, your plan for my life, even before I know what it is. It's saying yes to him before he asks anything. And that's a whole lot easier for me to say than it is for me to live. But that's what this part of the prayer is. God, I surrender my kingdom to yours and my will to yours and my plan to yours. It takes time. And there will be times in your life when you know what God's will is, but you're struggling to accept it because it's so different than what you had hoped. And it takes time. And, and the Lord knows it takes time. I mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he prayed about a 15-second long prayer. When he's in the middle of a storm on the Sea of Galilee, he said, peace, be still. And the storm stopped. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night he was betrayed, as he is facing the cross, 
You remember what he prayed. Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. If there's any way that I can provide salvation without a cross, let's do it that way. <laughs> if there's a plan B, I would prefer plan B. But nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. The song that I mentioned to you. And the indication is, because three times he prayed that. And the first time he prayed it, it said he went back and he asked his disciples, can't you stay awake with me for an hour? So this was not a little 10 second prayer. Not my will, I be done, amen. There's indication that this is a prayer that extended over hours. 15 seconds to raise the dead. Three words to calm a storm. Hours in his humanity facing the cross, wrestling with the will of the Father. And so those times in our lives when we find ourselves wrestling with the will of the Father... Jesus says, I understand. You know, if you run out of time today, come back tomorrow and we'll pick it up here. But, but at this part of the prayer, it's where we get to the point of surrender. And again, in, in much of your life, it'll be, you know, Lord, your will be done today. But there will be times in your life when you are in the middle of a crisis and you're not sure what God's will is or you don't like what his will seems to be. And, you know, for the people who say, oh, as soon as you know God's will, everything's going to be great. That's not true. Jesus told his disciples, get in the boat, go to the other side. They got in the boat and went on the other side. Halfway there, a storm came up that they thought was going to kill them. Sometimes getting to the point of thy will be done is hard. And that's what this part of the prayer is. It's wrestling to God, your kingdom come. Your will be done. So how is God's will done in heaven? If we're praying for his will to be done on earth, as it is in heaven, how is it done in heaven? Is it done immediately, or is it done after delay? I love the story from the Apostle Paul when he's trying to figure out where he's supposed to go next, and he saw this dream at night of the Macedonian man. Come over to Macedonia and help us. And Luke's accounting this in Acts says, the next morning, immediately, we got up and went to Macedonia. Yeah. God's will is done in heaven immediately. His will is done in heaven completely, not halfway. Joyfully, not complaining. Wholeheartedly, not half-heartedly. And so when we're praying, thy will be done in my life, on this earth, as it is in heaven, we're saying, Lord... When I know your will, may I do it immediately, may I do it completely, may I do it joyfully, <laughs> may I do it wholeheartedly, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God has a plan for you. God has a will for you. If you're a husband, God has, God has a will for how you love your wife and cherish your wife. If you're a wife, God has a will for you on how you respect your husband. If you're a parent, God has a will for you 
on how you raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. If you're a child, God has a will for you as to how you honor and obey your parents. If you're an employee, God has a will for you that you do your work as under the Lord. If you're an employer, God has a will for you on how you treat your employees, remembering that you're going to give an account to God. And each of us, God has a will that we do everything to the glory of God. Thy will be done. I'm going to get into something here that I'm not real clear on myself. That's always good. <laughs> but I first ran across this concept a few years ago, and it kind of set me back on my heels, and it still sets me back on my heels. Brennan Manning, I've not read the book, I don't necessarily recommend it because I've not read it, but he wrote a book called Ruthless Trust. And as I was working through this part of the Lord's Prayer, I, I saw this book referenced in several different areas. And in particular, they reference a story that he tells when Ephesus John Cavanaugh went to India to work with Mother Teresa. And Manning retells the conversation between Mother Teresa and Kavanaugh. He said the first morning he met Mother Teresa and she said, what can I do for you? And he said, I would like you to pray for me. And she said, what do you want me to pray for? And he answered with what motivated the trip to India. He said, pray that I have clarity. And she said, no, I will not pray that prayer. And he said, why not? And she said, because clarity is the last thing that you're holding on to, and you've got to let it go. And he said, but you always seem to have clarity. And she laughed, and she says, I've never had clarity. What I've had is trust. So I will pray that you trust God. That's going to make your brow furrow, and that's going to make you go, huh, I need to think about that a little bit. Here's how I have come to understand that. When we pray for clarity, too often what we're praying is, God, show me how it's going to end up. When I mean clarity, what I mean is, God, I want to know the end of this trip. I want to know every stop along the way. I want to know the detours. I want clarity so that I know how it's going to end. <laughs> God, I don't know that God ever gives us that. He'll give us clarity for the next step. But he rarely shows us the whole picture. Dallas Willard wrote, Many people seek to hear God totally as a device for securing their own safety and comfort. You know, Lord, show me your will so that I know how it's going to end up so I can know I can trust you. Because we need to be in control. And so many times we're saying, God, show me. We're asking him to show us the whole picture because we want to be in control. But God says, no, 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 you pray thy will be done and you leave all the details up to me. I'll give you what you need. I'll give you enough clarity for the first step. 
And when you're ready for the second step, I'll give you clarity for that step. But I'm probably not, I mean, now, we know the book of Revelation. We know how all, all ultimately is going to end up. We just don't always know how we're going to get there. And, and we know that God works all things for the good of those who love him. But we don't always know how we're going to get to that point. And so I say to you again that praying thy will be done, thy kingdom come, is praying, God, I acknowledge you and I surrender to your will before I know what it is and before I know how it's going to turn out. And the illustration of that to me is Abraham. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. You may remember the story. God comes to Abraham and he says, leave the town where you grew up, leave your heritage, leave your family, leave it all, and follow me to a place I will show you after. And Hebrews 11.8 does not say, by clarity, Abraham went forth. It says, by faith, Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. Now, I don't know about you, I hate those kind of trips. <laughs> I want to know where I'm going. And, and, you know, sometimes if I have an appointment somewhere and I've never been there before and it's important I get there on time, I'll do a dry run. Make sure I know where the place is. Make sure I know which entrance I'm supposed to take. You know, make sure, because I want to know how it's going to end. But the life of faith is not knowing how it's going to end you know, in the specifics, the life of faith is saying, God, I trust you for the next step. Before I know where the journey is going to end. Now, to some of you, that's exciting. <laughs> to some of us more cautious people, oh, I want to know. I've told you that before. Donna loves the adventure of not knowing. Let's just get in the car and go. Where are we going? I don't know. Let's just go. No. <laughs> I need to know where we're going. I need to have a reservation for the hotel that night. I need to make sure we get there soon enough so they don't sell out before I get there. You know, and, and, you know, and, and for people wired up like that, the life of faith can be a challenge. Because all God says is, here's the next step, dude. Take the next step. But you know what I'm learning? When I take that step, then he'll show me what the next step is. And then he'll show me what the next step is. And then I'll be where he wants me to be. But thy kingdom come, thy will be done, is surrendering to God's plan for your life before you know all the details. No, I haven't skipped thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come is a multifaceted request because his kingdom is multifaceted. Now again, oftentimes we look at prayer as a way to get God to bless our kingdom. Now, we don't pray it like this because it sounds horrible, but, but you evaluate your prayers, and how many times is your prayer, God, this is what I'm going to do today, please bless me. When what we ought to be praying is, God, what do you want me to do for you today? Help me to do what you're blessing. There's all the difference in the world between saying, God, bless what I'm doing, and God, Help me to do what you're blessing. We're saying, God, your kingdom, not mine. And so many times 
Our lives are consumed with our kingdoms. The things that we've invested time and money and energy into. But when you pray, thy kingdom come, it's a very different motive. It's not my plans. It's not my to-do list. It's God, your kingdom. And when you pray, thy kingdom come, then when you go through your life and interruptions happen that keep you from doing your to-do list, you realize this must have been on God's to-do list for me today. And the interruption becomes the to-do list. <clears throat> That's again, I'm not teaching you this as somebody who has this mastered. This is a constant struggle. I was going to do this today, but then I got this phone call or you know and and it just changed everything. You know, I I try to work several weeks ahead in my sermons cuz I have learned there's going to be times when something's going to happen and I'm going to be otherwise engaged for a couple of weeks and I need to make sure that I'm ready for the Sundays in between because God's going to have another plan than me being able to take the time I think I need to to get everything ready. So it's, Lord, your kingdom come. And so when the interruptions come that derail my plans, may I realize that must be your plan for me today. Your kingdom, not mine. Your plan, not mine. Your agenda, not mine. It doesn't mean you don't plan. It doesn't mean you don't organize. It doesn't mean you just go lazily through life. But it does mean that you recognize that God has the right to supersede what your plan for the day was. Thy kingdom come. Because kingdoms are mutually exclusive. As one person said, if you pray thy kingdom come, you are praying my kingdom done. <laughs> you know? And that's a pretty good way to put it. God, your kingdom come, my kingdom done. <clears throat> it, this is not a prayer for God to watch over us. This is a prayer for God to rule over us. <clears throat> Several years ago, there was a bumper sticker making the rounds that said, God is my co-pilot. I, I want God to be my pilot. <laughs> I don't trust myself being the pilot. I want him to be in charge. He's not our partner in life. He's the boss of our life. He is Lord. So let's look at some of the facets of thy kingdom come. First, obviously, it's a prayer for conversion. That we pray that his kingdom will come into the lives of the people that no longer know him or that don't know him. Colossians 1 talks about being rescued from the kingdom of darkness and being brought into the kingdom of his dear son. So praying thy kingdom come is praying for conversion. It's praying for people you know that do not yet know God. I will ask you rhetorically, do you know people who are not Christians? And then I will ask you, are you praying for them, for their salvation? That's part of thy kingdom come. And let me 
give you an illustration of, of a phrase that I heard that was very helpful to me. When you pray, pray what he called bite-sized requests. Maybe you have a neighbor that's not a Christian. You said, oh God, help my neighbor come to know you. Help my neighbor come to know you. It's fine. But let me give you this illustration the man gave of his own life. He said, I had a new neighbor that moved in. And I was trying to learn to pray for bite-sized requests. And so I said, Lord, help me to be able to meet him in a you know, very casual way. Now, you ladies don't have any trouble with that. You just bake something and take it over to him and say, welcome to the neighborhood. But us guys, we got to have a plan, you know, some, some casual way that we can meet. And the man said, my boy was playing out in the yard with his ball, and he kicked it and it went over the fence. And I went toward the fence, and the neighbor came out of his house to pick up the ball, and we very casually met. And then I said, Lord, help us to find something that we have in common that will give us something to talk about. And he said one day they met and they, were, they talked about the game that weekend. Oh, he likes football. I like football. So he said, my next prayer was, Lord, help him to accept the invitation when I buy tickets for the next game and invite him to come with me. Let him come with me. The guy went with him. They had a wonderful time. And then he said, my next prayer was, God, help us to be able to have a conversation that turns very naturally to spiritual things. And he said, before long, they were talking about that. Now, it's a, what a great illustration of how to pray for somebody's salvation in a way that makes it manageable, if you will. Of course, the danger in praying that is that you've got some responsibility to do something about it. But thy kingdom come. It's a prayer for conversion. Secondly, it is a prayer for God's political kingdom, or Christ's political kingdom. And that's how the disciples understood it. You remember, they were all about the Messiah coming back and throwing off Rome and setting up his kingdom. In Acts chapter 1, after the resurrection, the disciples still, Lord, is this the time when you're going to restore the kingdom? This is a prayer for Christ to fulfill the promise of Revelation 22, 20, I am coming quickly. <laughs> because I think by now in our lives, our immediate response is, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. But it is a prayer when we pray, thy kingdom come, Lord. We're looking ahead to when you come back to this earth and set up your kingdom. May your kingdom come. But it also has application for our lives, and it means that we live by kingdom principles. When I pray, thy kingdom come, I am praying, Lord, may I live according to your standards. May I live according to kingdom principles. And if you want to know what those are, read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, where Jesus says, you have heard, but I say to you. And then he lays down a kingdom principle. So it is a desire that our daily lives will reflect God's principles. Part of our responsibility as followers of Christ is to make the invisible kingdom visible to this world. Somebody asked this question. If someone had to write an article 
on what it means to be a Christian by watching your life. How accurate would that article be? Oh, that's kind of convincing, isn't it? It's like Paul being changed to, chained to those prison guards and they all become converts. I don't know if somebody was chained to me 24 hours a day if they become a convert or not. But what, what a challenge that is when we pray, Thy kingdom come. We're saying, Lord, may I live by the principles of your kingdom. May your kingdom rule in my life today. May I live today as a citizen of heaven. As Paul says in Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven. But I wanted to get this real practical for us. And I remembered Romans 14, 17. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so praying, thy kingdom come, we're praying righteousness, peace, and joy. Righteousness involves a right relationship with God, but it also involves a right relationship with others. Peace, if you study peace in the scriptures, there's peace with God. There's the peace of God in the midst of the storm. And there's peace with other people. Peace with God through forgiveness. The peace of God keeping us at rest in the storms. And then peace with other people. And then the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so what I've learned in my life, and I just encourage you to add it to your prayer life, is when you pray thy kingdom come, pray righteousness, peace, and joy in your life, in your family's lives. I don't know. Anybody here have a family member that need peace? <laughs> that needs some joy? Maybe that needs some righteousness? What a great thing to pray for your kids. If your parents are still alive, what a great thing to pray for them. What a great thing to pray for your extended family and your friends. God, today, may they experience your righteousness. May they have a right relationship with you, and may they have a good relationship with other people. And Lord, I pray your peace on them today. I don't know what they're going through, but give them your peace today. And give them joy today. I, I, I think maybe if there's one thing that's missing in our world today, understandably so, it's joy. And I don't know about you, but I could stand a good dose of joy every day. God, that's your kingdom. As I pray for my kids, as I pray for Donna, as I pray for you, righteousness and peace and joy. The Lord's Prayer is not easy. I, I mentioned to you the quote last week, it's not just a way to pray, it's a way to live. And I just encourage you to evaluate your praying and your living on this part of the prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And maybe at some point today there's something in your life you've been wrestling with and you just need to say, okay God, I don't know how it's going to end up, but your kingdom come. Your will be done. I'm going to stop fighting. <laughs> I surrender to you. Show me enough clarity for the next step and then help my faith to be strong enough to take the next step.
and obedience to you. Father, what a challenge it is when we really dig into this prayer. It's not simple words. It's, it's tough lifestyle decisions. But you've taught us this is how we should pray. And we realize, Lord, that when we pray, we are connecting to the supernatural world where we can find the strength and the grace and the wisdom to live out what we're praying. We can't figure it out ourselves. We're so thankful we have you. We're not wise enough to work it out. We're thankful for your wisdom. We're not strong enough to carry it out. We thank you that we can do all things through Christ who keeps on strengthening us. And so, Lord, today we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine on you and give you his peace now and evermore. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for being here today. You're dismissed.